what an awesome time. And there's just nothing like worshiping in the presence of God. Amen. You know, this morning is a little bit different, something a little bit new. You've heard me preach, you've heard Alexis preach, but we've never given the pulpit up to anybody. This morning is new because God is doing just that. I have been waiting for this Sunday ever since before we set it up. And I think it's been at least a month since we set it up. Probably six weeks, something like that. But I have been praying for, excited about, and anticipating this morning for a long time. Because I know God has a plan. I know God is in this. I want to tell you just a little bit about, for just two minutes, how I met this gentleman. You all know my background. You know my history. I did not come from... I came from a cessationist world, okay? That, and, and it's funny, in church circles, when you get in church circles, you're really limited to those church circles. And it doesn't, you don't really realize how big the body of Christ is until you change those church circles. <laughs> well, we went through that. We changed those church circles, if you will, and all of a sudden, all the people that we knew in these church circles... We, we were no, no longer in the same mind frame with. Doesn't mean we're not in, in conjunction with them. Doesn't mean that we're, we're all the body of Christ. It's just that our associations, if you will, changed a little bit. Because we, we made a understanding, saw an understanding in the word of God for something that I had not believed for 40 years. That he revealed to me in the scripture, that opened up a very new world, if you will, to me. So I found myself, and Alexis the same, found myself with literally no mentors, no uh, friendships in that way on a spiritual level that I could go to. And so I began praying, God, lead me to... A mentor, lead me to an ally, lead me to somebody who, who can understand what we're doing, what we're going through. And I've told this story before, and, and I'm not going to tell the story at length, but, but last December, God led me to a church. I had no clue what I was stepping into. When, when I set up to go meet this pastor named Charles Stock, Remember, I wasn't from those circles. I had no clue who he was. I had no clue what I was walking into. I just knew we had a mutual friend from 20 years ago <laughs> that hooked us up online. And we texted each other a couple times. He said, yeah, I'll talk to you. So I drove up to Harrisburg because he was only two hours away. Man, praise God. Because, see, when the guy knew him before, he was in California. So now he's out on the East Coast. He's in Harrisburg. So I'm, I'm driving up there. And I really, I said this before, but I really should have Googled his name so I would know what I was getting into. I'm pulling up to this church. I mean, what church has a, a three-story parking garage? It, it, and, and I'm thinking, Lord, was this really you, or what am I getting myself into? Well, from that first meeting, we developed a relationship, but it wasn't just a relationship with Charles. It was a relationship with a church. It was relationship with a body that, that we could associate with. 
you know, most of you are familiar, from that came my ordination. From that came our sending as a church. And that was really important. But what I found is the very thing that the Lord, that I prayed about, and the Lord told me in a word that we would receive, is this ally that we would receive. And I believe that came in the form of a church. That came in the form of Life Center that has introduced us to people, that has called us, that has sent us as a church, ordained me as a pastor. And, and I think that is just the beginning. I think that there are partnerships in the future that you're going to see play out that will just blow your mind. It's already blown my mind, and he's only shown it to me in vision. <laughs> my mind's already blown. So that's what God has done. Now, I met Rich. I, Rich Brink is coming to speak this morning, and he is the pastor's liaison for Global Celebration, and he also works with the Global Celebration School of Supernatural Ministry. And I met him. I, I don't think I met you before my ordination, but I met him at the ordination, and it was interesting because at the ordination, and I don't even remember who it was, but this, this guy was talking about the school. And in his 15-minute talk or whatever it was, because we were at a, a, at a conference that was about the school, I believe, um, and, and when he was talking, the, the Holy Spirit said, that school is supposed to be in Newark. That school is supposed to be at Ignition. And I, I didn't understand that, so I kind of ignored it. <laughs> And then, I, I want to say maybe a month later, two months later, whatever it was, I, I was invited to this open house, and I didn't know what I was going to. I thought I was going up there to just meet some pastors. I didn't realize it was even for the school. And I was going because one of the guys who I've known for, for several months, his name is Jeff Struss. He's a, a pastor down in Lynchburg. I had met him prior to my ordination and got to know him a little bit. And he was speaking that night. So that's why I thought I was going. I was going to, to just encourage my friend Jeff and hear him speak. I'd never heard him speak before. So I go there and found out it was really an open house for, for the school. So I got to enjoy an evening with all the people that were at the school. Got to meet many of them. Got to experience what the school was about. And I'm not going to sidetrack and go into some things that happened that night for me. That's, that's for another time. But I want to tell you, the Holy Spirit spoke to me again that night. And he said, go tell Rich what I told you the first time you met him. So I did. I, I went and I told Rich. And, and, and I, I just said, you know, here, here's what it is. Do with it what you want. But consequently, he and I talked later and set up a time for him to come down here. Because I just wanted him to meet you guys. Because this, this is an awesome body of Christ. But this is a called body of Christ. Called to something very specific. Called to something more than what we think of in terms of everyday church. Right? So I have been anticipating this time. I've been very excited about this time. And I hope that you'll welcome with me Rich Brink. Thank you. Thank you, Greg. Wow. 
Yeah, I love it when you don't know that much what you're getting into. Because we might not do some things otherwise. And I love that. And, uh, well, but I did know that the moment I saw Greg and Alexis, I just felt this connection. Amen. And I felt this royalty on you guys. That there's a statesmanship. There's a, and, and see, there'll, there'll be some things, that's, because he has ego eyes, there may be some things as you go forward that you may not always understand that he does. Mm-hmm. But uh, trust Jesus in him. Because it's big. It's huge. The, the vision that God's giving Praise you guys. God. And the Lord was showing me this morning that uh, your wife, Alexis, that's like a royal name, you know. And uh, I've always thought so. In, in Wilmington, there's the Christiana River, right? Is that how you say it? Yeah. 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 She was a Swedish uh, princess, queen, and I thought, I think she's like the same thing, mm-hmm. like that name, like just, wow. there's that princess thing on her. So, anyway, that's cool. So... I have never, I've never been in Delaware before, you know, so this is an exciting first route, and this week has been blowing my mind. Again, I got set up, I got to hang out for two days with a guy named James Gall, who's a prophet of the nations, and, and he messed me up, he just, and I've been just so, my wife even says I'm new, and when your wife says you're new, there's something to it. So it's been a great week, and this week is like the frosting on the cake. Today is like the frosting on the cake for that, because I've been so anticipating it. But again, it was a setup, because <clears throat> last summer I went to Virginia Beach for a couple of days, and uh, we were coming back to Harrisburg. The traffic in D.C. was crazy, so I said, let's take the Bay Bridge Tunnel and come up through Delaware. I didn't know what in the world I was doing, but in July, I'd come up Route 1 all the way through Delaware, never been in Delaware before. And I just prayed the entire Route 1, you know. Then I find out Chuck Pierce, when he came in 2004, he called Route 1 the Highway of Holiness. Mm -hmm. And he prophesied there would be people actually traveling up and down Route 1, praying and worshiping. And all that happened. And so there's some more about Delaware and Pennsylvania that I'm going to share a little bit later. But it's very interesting that your worship leader is from Philadelphia, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm going to tell you there's a direct connection between Delaware and Philadelphia. They have to be linked together. So it's very interesting that you guys are linked uh-huh. together in this. It's beyond what you think. It's a yeah. national thing. It's yeah. something that has to happen for our nation. So yeah. it's big. Amen. It's really big. Amen. Wow. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to go into Colossians today. One of my favorite books. And I'm so excited that I have a little bit of time today because usually... Half hour is about all I usually get to share. So, wow, I can unpackage a few things. And uh, so that's very exciting to me. Uh, whoa. And you know, my best friend in high school lives in Delaware here. Uh, again, that was his setup. He's Jewish. He's a financial advisor in Wilmington. And, uh, and so, anyway, we were best friends in high school. We reconnected ten years later. I tried to win him to the Lord. Because um, I'm convinced he's a messianic believer, he's he's going to know Jesus in a very powerful way. And uh, but it didn't work at that time. And uh, but then 30 years later, at the, our 40th reunion, I got to sit with him again. And uh, and I said, Bob, I am sorry. I tried to convert you. I just really was overboard. 
And he says, man, you got convictions. I respect that. Could you pray over this Jewish table tonight? So there's, he's, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. So be praying for Bob. Wow. So I don't know what to call it today. I'm going to call it that, you know, we as Christians, the word Christian means somebody that's like Christ. Yes. So um, if you try to do that on your own, it's impossible. How many of you know that? Have you tried that? <laughs> Trying to be like Christ on your own? I did for 15 years. I got the t-shirt. <clears throat> Didn't work. <clears throat> but if you do it God's way, it's as easy as one, two, three. So that's, I guess that's the name of my message today. It's as easy as one, two, three. So, and we're going to, and this lines up with the three chapters of Colossians, chapter one, chapter two, chapter three. So, the Lord just kind of dumped that on me, and I, I've never preached this before, so, kind of interesting. But I do believe today is a Kairos moment. I believe this time in history is like a Kairos moment, a turning point for our nation, turning point for the kingdom. And I was thinking I should be preaching a, a Christmas message today. I'm standing by the Christmas tree. You know, and I always preach about Christmas right before Christmas, but this is different today. So it's 70 degrees out. It doesn't even feel like Christmas. I don't have my shopping done. But anyway, this is going to be really good today. There is a Kairos moment, just like when Jesus came at Christmas. It was the third cycle of 14 generations from Adam. And if you read the first chapter of Matthew, you see that. So there is a Kairos generational thing happening right now in the body of Christ. And, uh, and uh, so I, we'll, we may talk about that. But I believe our nation is at a turning point this year. Uh, 5776 in the Jewish calendar. And uh, Chuck Pierce said the other night in 2016, this is the year to secure the gate of your future. <laughs> and that has to do with the church too. This is a very important year of securing and going through the open doors that God gives us. So that's a pretty exciting word, that we can step into that, and there's actually favor on that. And uh, I believe Delaware has a special role in this gate. We're the first state. I'm talking like I'm from here. We're the first state. I guess it's getting real. We're the first state, and uh, there's a first fruits anointing on this state. First fruits. Amen. And uh, it's a strategic place, and uh, but we'll share about that later. First of all, for, number one, okay, is first encounters. Having a first encounter with Jesus. That's what's got to happen first. <laughs> if you're going to be Christ-like, an encounter with Jesus. That means not just knowing about Christ, but knowing Christ. And there's a whole big difference between that. And I figured I'd share a little bit about my encounter with Jesus. So you'll know me a little bit better. Wow. Because I did try to know Jesus for 15 years. I was, I was the best Methodist you could be in my mind, you know. Did everything. I was Christian at two weeks. You know, they sprinkle you, protect you from hell at two weeks. And then at 12, you're confirmed as a member. And so you're the official Christian at 12. And I became youth leader of our <laughs> church. Little little Methodist church up in northern New Jersey. And so, in my mind, I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm, I'm it. You know, I'm, I'm who I'm supposed to be. I must know about God. And, of course, I got deep Dutch roots. Maybe that's why I feel so 
kin to Delaware because it was founded by the Dutch. And so, um, well, yeah, there's something that I can speak into this state. So, anyways, I'm just being the best Methodist I can be. Um, and I become a teenager and so on. But the problem was, you know what the problem was? I wasn't born again. Amen. Does that make sense? Yeah. If you're not born again, then you can try all you want. <laughs> yeah. To be a Christian, and it just doesn't work. And so it's very important. The Delaware River had something to do with my conversion. Uh, at 16 years old, 1970, we went canoeing on the Delaware River at a really stupid time. It was Easter. There was still ice in the river. We had no life jackets. We just had coats and boots. <laughs> it was a setup of some kind. And uh, so anyway, we capsized. Thought I was going to drown. Went under the water three times. And at that moment, me being a really good Methodist meant nothing. <laughs> I was going to drown. I was going to die. And, you know, my whole thinking was, you know, how good are you? You know, I figured I was around 80%. 80% Christ life or something. But when I went under that water, like, how good do you have to be? <laughs> How good do you have? What if it's 85? What if 85% is the line? And I'm 80%. I was, that was scary. So when I got out of the water, I decided this isn't working. I have no assurance of eternal life. Nothing. So obviously this isn't working. So we're going to go on a search. So I went on a three-year search to find God. <laughs> and I figured, well, Christianity doesn't work. So Islam must be the answer. So my senior year in high school, I wrote paper about Islam and, you know, tried, I don't know what I thought I was doing. But anyways, I read the five pillars of Islam and I said, well, I'm not good enough to be a Christian. So now I got to do these five things to be a really good Muslim. And I, and I figured I got to fast the whole month of Ramadan. Like, forget this. This is hard. What I, what I did before was hard, but this is harder. Like... No, so so then I tried Hinduism and Buddhism a little bit. I found out in Hinduism there's 300 million gods. So I was like, how do you decide which one? I couldn't figure out which one I was supposed to go after. Wow. Great, yeah, you know. And in Buddhism, it's like I read this article. You know, no desires. You know that that sets you free to have no desires. But one day it occurred to me, isn't the desire to have no desires a desire? <laughs> so it's like, I can't win. You know, it's like, I'm trying to find God. I really am. I'm trying to be serious. I'm trying to have an encounter with heaven. So anyway, I go to the University of Maine, become a forestry major, because I love, I'm a tree hugger. I'm I'm figuring that maybe the hippie life is the way to find God, right? I mean, peace, love, joy. That's got to be the answer. I live close to Woodstock. This is it. So I go to college, try to be the best hippie that I can possibly be. Whatever that means. I don't even know what it means. But in the midst of that, there's this guy named George Miller on our hall who's a hippie. He's got real long hair. And he's preaching Jesus in the dorm. And it's like, this guy is, his eyes, his eyes are wild. <laughs> he's, he's a Jesus freak. 
And he's like out there preaching it and preaching it. And uh, so, that summer, I go back to New Jersey. I still got a reputation, so the pastor asked me to preach that Sunday morning. Again, picture this. I'm smoking pot. <laughs> I'm a hippie. I'm trying to be the best hippie, but I'm preaching at our church. And I don't know what I'm saying. I'd love to have a tape of that sermon. <laughs> so I basically got up there and said, guys, <clears throat> I don't know what we're doing. But this guy, George Miller, he's got it. He was a 24-7. He's got Jesus inside him, and we all need to be like George Miller. <laughs> That's right. That was my sermon. Didn't have a clue what I was saying. Isn't this a right place? So, being the nature person that I was, um, climbed a tree up by the Appalachian Trail, and I was talking to God, whoever he was. And I said, God, I don't know who you are, but if, if you love me, you've got to start showing me who you are. Amen. And that day, God sent a red-tailed hawk and flew around my head and looked in my eye. And I heard God say, I'm sending the hawk to you. Because I want you to be free. <laughs> In fact, there was a bald eagle that flew over me this morning. So, God still does that with me. Amen. But I said, but God, if Jesus is the way, what are you going to do about the heathen in Africa, the Hindus in India, and the Native Americans for crying out loud? So that was, you know, I was really mad. So... Anyways, that fall, I go to InterVarsity Christian Fellowship on campus at the University of Maine. I got this friend from Maryland. His dad was a professor at the Indianapolis Naval Academy. And this guy's a born-again Christian. And he's saying, Rich, you've got to come to the university meeting on Friday nights. Well, Friday nights is when the beer parties are happening. That's when the women are out there. And I'm thinking, I can't go to this meeting. But yet God's like tugging on me. So I finally, after five times, I go. Don't give up if, you know, somebody says no once. Amen. So right. anyway, I go to this university meeting. After the meeting, I go up to the leader of the group. And I said, what about this Jesus? You know, what if, isn't he just a guru like Hare Krishna or blah, blah, blah? What makes him so special? And he whips out John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Mm. Whoa. <laughs> and so I was really mad. I walked out. <laughs> so I started going to these Bible studies, though, and the book of John. And I'm finding these are outrageous things that Jesus are talking about, about himself. And I came to this, and I heard about this C.S. Lewis who said there's a trilemma. Listen, with the outrageous things that Jesus says in the book of John, you only got three choices. He's either a liar who is just lying and saying these outrageous claims, or he's a lunatic, he really believes it, and he's just crazy. He's saying, I'm God. Like, I'm walking around as a human being, but I'm actually God. I actually created everything out here. <laughs> it's pretty outrageous. Or the third thing, He's actually God in the flesh, Amen. who's Lord of the universe, <laughs> uh, who even made Mohammed. Okay? So, I'm left with this incredible dilemma. 
Well, let's read the book of Colossians, chapter 1. This is what it comes down to. If you have an encounter with Jesus, you have to realize he's risen from the dead. He's alive. He's God. He's, oh, how many of you know that today? He's, he's everything. He's the source. So, this is the outrageous uh, thing that uh, Paul talks about here. Chapter 1, verse 12. Always thanking the Father. Huh, that's a good thing to do. Let's thank the Father right now. Thank you, Father. Yes. Thank you, Lord. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness. Can we all say yay? Yay. Yes. (laughs) And transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son, who purchased our freedom. There's the word freedom. I thought as a hippie you'd have all the freedom you would need, but I was getting more dark. <laughs> but he had purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and supreme over all creation. For through him God created everything in the heavenly realms and on the earth. <laughs> So to compare him with any other guru is just totally nonsense. So that's what I came to. Like, he's either everything or nothing. And uh, on Thanksgiving night, 1972, I had a friend. And uh, she said, we're going, there's a place, there's some real Christians that I know. And I said, oh, that's what I'm looking for. Real Christians. Wow. You know know where he ended up? At a Catholic convent. (laughs) Surprised me. Um, Went into this place called Marycrest. 1972. Three nuns had been filled with the Holy Spirit. And are inviting Protestants in on Thursday nights to pray in tongues and to shout and to (laughs) worship God. When I walked into that room, this nun hugged me, and I felt God go down through my my body. Amen. And uh, I didn't understand the tongue stuff. I didn't understand anything, but I felt God in that place. And afterwards, this guy comes up to me. It was a setup. And uh, he says, have you ever asked Jesus into your heart? And I'm thinking... I was sprinkled at two weeks old. I was a member at 12. I was youth leader of the church. But no, I never have asked Jesus into my heart, come to think of it. <laughs> this is weird. So, anyways, I just had a pure childlike faith. Well, I'll go along with what they said, you know. <laughs> so I said this simple prayer. I'm thinking, this isn't going to do anything. I said, this simple prayer, and my life totally changed. Amen. Like, all of a sudden, like Wesley said, I felt this, this warm fire. This, I was strangely warmed yeah. in my heart. And it's like God came in, like he's in there now. And the Holy Spirit, I started feeling these warm fuzzies. Anybody ever felt warm fuzzies? It only happened once before, on Easter morning, at sunrise service in the Methodist Church, I'd feel this warm fuzzy, and I didn't know what it was. But anyways, my life changed. And that week, I took a shower at the University of Maine, and I had an open vision in the shower. And I saw Jesus holding my hand, walking around heaven with me. Amen. And I've wow. never gotten over that vision. Wow. Because I know 
that no matter what happens in this life, me and Jesus are tight. Yes. We're tight. We're friends. Amen. And it's never changed from that moment. Yeah. So that's a God encounter. That's a Jesus encounter. It'll change your life. How many of you have had an encounter with Jesus? Yeah. And it changed your life, right? Yeah. Wow. So, first encounters, that has to happen to be Christ-like. That's like elementary, right? And uh, then I had a weird experience. These same Catholic charismatics invited me to come on Tuesday, and they said, you need to be filled with the Spirit. I said, really? Huh. So, yeah, we're all gonna, you come down on Tuesday night. We're all going to surround you, lay hands on you, and you're going to get filled with the Spirit. I'm a shy person. I, I like trees better than people. <laughs> I, that was the last thing I was going to do. I did not show up. But at the same time, I went to church and I started, for the first time in my life, I put my hands up in the air as I was worshiping. And something weird started happening in my stomach. I felt like a coffee maker. It felt like boom, 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 boom. Something is happening. So I go back to the dorm. My roommate, he said, what's going on with you? I said, I don't know, but my stomach's doing something weird. So I didn't know what was going to happen. So I went out in the woods. What you should do, this is my, this is my way you should get filled with the Holy Spirit. Go out and find a hemlock tree. Because <laughs> those are the best. Find a rock right next to one. And then just get down and start worshiping. That's what I did. It's not in the Bible. Okay, so... Um, but I just... This is my own experience. So anyway, I get out there and I'm just worshiping. And here's my prayer. A lot of faith. Lord, you know I'm a Methodist. I said, I don't know anything about tongues or spirit. But if it's of you, I want it. Amen. I want yes. it. And I started worshiping in these other languages that I had never learned out in the middle of the woods. So I knew man hadn't given it to me. Yeah. It was like a sweet gift, you know, from Jesus. And so, again, I'm just like on this journey. I don't know what's going on. I don't know. But I know that I found God, and he's real. And then I met my wife in a very supernatural way. And... Uh, <laughs> that was 40 years ago, but it still seems like yesterday. Because it was just so, so real. So, after this all happens, I go back to that same tree in New Jersey. And I climb up in the tree. <laughs> and now I know God. And he said, this is so great what you've done in my life. You know, I found you. I, I'm here. So then he starts talking to me. And he says, Richard, are you still upset about those Native Americans those heathens in Africa and the Indians in India. I said, well, yeah, now that you mention it. <laughs> he says, well, guess what? You're going to Africa, you're going to India, and you're going to start ministering with Native Americans, so get ready. <laughs> Be careful what you pray about stuff, because it's stuff you really care about and comes out of your heart you're passionate about. Guess what? He's going to make you an answer to your own prayers. Amen. Because yes. Christ in you <laughs> is going to come out of you. Yes. In fact, that's in chapter 1, verse 27. You see, because we can believe in Christ. Wow. <laughs> and that's powerful in itself. Yes. But 
to believe that Christ is in you is another level. And it says here, For God wanted them to know the riches and glory of Christ for you, that you gen, for your Gentiles too. And this is the secret. Christ lives in you, and this gives you full assurance in sharing in his glory. Amen. Wow. Just say wow. Amen. Wow. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Cool. And so the rest of my life, I'm still trying to figure that one out because it's a secret. And you only learn secrets by leaning on the chest of your lover. Yeah. <laughs> and just like John leaned on Christ's chest, he learned secrets. Yeah. So I'm still learning that secret. Amen. Mm. Amen. Well, by the way, I really like people now. <laughs> <laughs> I actually had a Christmas miracle happen to me with that. Have you all... Have you all like seen the Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens? That whole powerful story. In a small way, I had something like that happen to me because I really was kind of Scrooge in some ways. Well, Christmas Eve, I'm up in the Catskills in New York at my grandparents' house. I'm a new Christian. I don't even know what to do with myself. You know, I'm singing Jesus songs at Christmas, which you're not supposed to do. <laughs> and <laughs> so Christmas Eve. I'm upstairs, uh, my mom is asleep, and I'm thinking about the baby Jesus, you know, the sweet baby Jesus in the cradle. And I actually have this dark form come in the room. Like, I don't, I don't even believe in Satan at this point. So this dark figure comes in the room, and I see in my mind's eye him killing the baby Jesus, trying to kill the baby Jesus. I'm like horrified. And, and he like says, I'm going to kill Christ in you. You know, and I'm like freaked out. I don't know what's going on. So I just said, Jesus, like that, and it leaves. But it freaked me out. But I just like, God, <laughs> I'm yours. Like, I'm t I don't understand spiritual warfare or anything. The next day I wake up and I have this, I'm like different. They said they want me to go downtown to get some stuff for the, the Christmas day. I go downtown by the store down there, and I'm in, like in love with everybody. But like this new love has come over my life. Amen. Greg, it was weird. Amen. I wanted to hug and kiss everybody on the street. <laughs> but something in my mind said, don't do that. You might get locked up. Probably going to be. Anybody have an experience like that? Just the love of God comes on you yes. so much. You're just like loving total strangers. Yes. You don't even know. Yes. So that was my Christmas miracle Amen. in 1972. So I really do like people now more than trees. Still love trees. Still in the trees. Chapter 2. So, first thing, encounter, have first encounters with Jesus. The second thing is have a second reformation. And I'm going to try to explain what I mean by that. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9. This, These two verses can mess you up. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you also are complete <laughs> through your union with Christ who is head over every ruler and authority. Uh-oh. Through your union with Christ? It's like nothing that yourself do. It's just the fact that you're married to Jesus changes everything. And it means that you're now in some kind of oneness with the Trinity. And we won't even go there today because that's like 
Charles loves talking about stuff like that. So if we get with Charles sometime, we're going to go into that. But Wow. You see, how many of you are familiar with the first Reformation? Martin Luther, 1517. Uh, we're having the 500th birthday of that in 2017. And George is going to do some stuff in Wittingburg and all that. Well, Martin Luther was a Catholic monk. But he had a revelation from the Word, Romans 1, 16 and 17. You know, I'm not ashamed of, ashamed of the gospel of Christ, because it's the power of God unto salvation for the Jew first and then the Gentile. Yes. Wow. And then this whole thing about, and the just shall live by faith. Yes. In other words, we are justified. We are made right with God by faith. Nothing that we have done. Like Ephesians 2, 8, 9 it's a gift of God. Not that we should boast. By grace. Wow, so that, that caused an explosion in Europe. You know, there's no longer like works or being part of the church that saves you. Someday maybe 80%. But by faith, by grace, nothing we have done but it's the cross. The blood of Jesus saves us entirely. Just coming into that. And so that changed the world. How many men that changed the world? He nailed 95 points up on the church door on Halloween. and I don't know why that day. But anyway, um, it changed the world. And our whole Western civilization has that revelation that we're saved by Christ through faith and grace. That's changed the world. And, and really, all of us know we're forgiven of our sins because of that. Um, Georgian beliefs, Georgian Banoff, my boss... Also, my in-law, my son, married his daughter. Um, he fully believes that we are entering into a second Reformation. You yeah. see, the first Reformation had to do with Romans 1 to 5. That we're forgiven by grace through the blood. But unfortunately, that's as far as it went in the sense that it didn't teach us about living by grace. Okay? It's one thing to be saved and have your sins forgiven. But a lot of Christians live in bondage as far as a sin mentality and being in bondage to sin. Now, I know nobody's here has ever had that. Maybe it's just me, but for like the first 20 years of my Christian life, I was in this religious cycle of, yes, I'm saved, but as far as being holy, nah. Some days I'm holy, some days I'm not. Some days I'm a sinner, some days I'm a saint. Kind of depends on the day. Um, it kind of came to a climax in 1997. I went on a 40-day fast to become holy. Sounds like a good idea. <laughs> right? That should work. <laughs> so anyway, I'll never take it back. I mean, I, I always wanted to do it, and I did. But at the end of the 40-day fast, this guy named Georgian Bianoff comes to our church, and you know what he preaches? Holiness... It's nothing that can be obtained by fasting or prayer. <laughs> or things that you can do. Holiness is because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, yeah. and Christ has made you holy. Yes. The moment you were born again, He made you holy. Yes. He made you a saint. You're no longer a sinner, you're a saint. Yes. And now, the Holy One lives inside of you. Wow. You actually are born in the Holy of Holies. 
That's what the word says. Like in Colossians chapter 2. Well, I'll give you proof right here. In chapter 2. I'm sorry. In chapter 1 actually. It says in verse 21. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies. Separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. But now he's reconciled you. Through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence. And you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fall. How many of you know that verse doesn't even sound right? <laughs> wow, just turn to your, your friend next to you and just say, you are holy and blameless. How many of you felt weird when you said that? It did to me too. So we're all in the same boat here. But it comes down to, do I believe what I think or do I believe what the Word says? That's what it comes down to. Because the blood of Jesus makes us holy. Nothing else does. No amount of fasting or prayer or anything. I Believe me, I've tried that, all that. And it's, it, those are good things. Those things that we have to be. But they don't make us holier. They connect us. They help us to hear God better. They help us to read the Word better. Wow. So anyways, I began this journey with Georgian about the Second Reformation. Romans 6, 7, and 8. And I don't have time to unpackage it today, today. But it's all about being co-crucified co-buried, and co-risen. It's called Coco language. <laughs> and I actually came across it uh, in the 90s with a Greek Bible in Galatians 2.20. I was reading it through and it says, and you are, I am, have been co-crucified with Christ. Mm -hmm. And I said, what does that mean? Co-crucified. Well, it has to do with our marriage. We're in union with Christ. And we actually die with Christ, we get buried with Christ, and then we get risen with Christ. And our brains can't understand any of that. But the Bible says it happens. Because we become one with him, and so we participate with him. And uh, I don't, I do not, uh, I don't want you to think that you have to understand everything I'm saying today. Because I didn't understand it for like three years, okay? So, give it a little grace. Erin understands it because she's in the school. So, ask her. She, she's a theologian. She will explain the entire thing. Yes. But I, I, do want, I do want her not... Don't let her just sit in this church and do nothing, okay? Because she's got this wealth in her. Amen. She's got the kingdom in her. So, definitely don't let her get away with just not being passive, okay? You're, you're going to thank me for this later, Aaron. Probably not today. But We're recording this. <laughs> <You're> recording. <laughs> so, to try to very simply explain this, I used to think that sanctification was just totally progressive. Like, you know, you... And death becomes your hero. Like, when you die, you're going to be really sanctified. You're going to be really holy after you die. Right? <laughs> well, we're glorified bodies, the entire thing. And so, sin is sort of like we give it up a little bit at a time, you know, through the years. But think how, how 
silly this concept is. That's like getting married and saying, I've got ten girlfriends. And dear, I'm going to give up one a year. <laughs> you know, that, I'm, that I can deal with that. And so, you know, how many of you wives would be okay with that? Like, No hands, what's up? <laughs> but that's the way we go about our Christianity somehow. Yeah. And it's not like that. That's not what the Word says. Yeah. We, when we get saved, we marry Christ. Yeah. In fact, this is my wedding ring to Jesus right here. We marry Christ. We're His bride now. Yeah. And He is our lover. Our yeah. only lover. And so, the whole thing about not having other gods before us, other lovers before us, that's really big. Yeah. And so, that's what Romans 6, 7, and 8 is all about. Yeah. And it's all about, because <laughs> Paul says the first thing, so we got all this grace stuff happening. It's all free. It's all just too hard to even understand. So he says, so now that we're saved by grace... Should we just go ahead and sin all the time? You know what he says? God forbid. How can you that have died to sin mm, right. live any longer in it? Amen. Wow. Amen. What a powerful statement. Yeah. What does it mean? How can you even do that? Well, look at Colossians chapter 2, verse 11. And this is shocking, but it's the word. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised. Oh, that sounds painful. <laughs> but the thing is, you didn't even know it happened. But not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision. What was it? The cutting away of your sinful nature. Ooh. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to a new life because you trusted in the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature. Was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all your sins. Wow. That's a radical three verses. Amen. You see, when you got saved, whether you knew it or not, your sin nature got cut off. And you're not the same person anymore. You actually have a new nature. You're a new creature. All things are passed away. All things become new. So without us even knowing it, see, it's not that you can't sin anymore, but you don't enjoy sin anymore. It's not your identity. It's not Amen. who you are. Can anybody say that's Amen. true? Yeah. Amen. That's not who you are. You're a saint now. You're not a sinner anymore. Amen. So, huh, so you, then you say to yourself, well, how come I still struggle with this? That and this and that. Well, it's this thing between your ears. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it's your brain. That's the problem. And uh, over in chapter 3, it talks about being renewed in the spirit of your mind. Because mm -hmm. even though in your spirit, the moment you got born again, you became holy in your spirit. The whole, why? Because the Holy Spirit came in. The Holy Spirit is living inside of you now. So you have a spirit that hates sin. You do. But our brain needs to be renewed in that and catch up to what's already happened in our spirit man. That's why you should be in this every day, to eat this and to drink this. 
when Georgian came to my church in Maine, we were still kind of religious. And so, <laughs> Georgian breaks off religion off people. So, in fact, he had a ponytail and stuff. So, my deacon said, you're not going to go on the platform with the ponytail, are you? He said, well, what do you want me to do? Cut my hair or whatever? So, anyway, he gets up there and he says, you know, I love the Word of God. I love to eat it. I love to drink it. And when he said that, he takes the dividing straw and he starts sucking on it. I love to drink the Word of God, you know. Well, my deacon's freaked, right? <laughs> but it did break religion off. <laughs> Our church, it really did. So, we have to eat this every day and Amen. drink it. Yes. I mean, I know that's a good thing because it yeah. renews your mind. Amen. It's like you can drink the Word, you can eat the Word. And it changes you. And it helps your brain to catch up with what's happening here already. Yes. Wow. That's really good. So, Amen. read the book of Colossians this week. I just encourage you. You know that guy that came from Pennsylvania? And he he read this stuff that was so like, what is that? <laughs> it's in the Word. And so, but it takes, it takes like a long time to get it in here. Yeah. I'm preaching something that's... 1997. I'm still finally getting it. Like, so I'm a little slow. It takes me a little while <laughs> to get stuff like that because it's spiritual. It really is. So <laughs> the second reformation has to do with identity because most Christians do not know who they are. They don't know who lives inside of them and what they're capable That's of. Right. And as right. long as you're struggling with this treadmill of sin, like on. I blew it yesterday, so I can't do anything for God for the next week because I've got to now go. I'm out in the outer court. I feel like I'm in the outer court now. Now we've got to make the donuts, light the candles, go back into the inner corner, do the incense, and then maybe we can go back in to the Holy of Holies. Forget that. Forget that program. I tried it for several years. It stinks. Okay? So next time, this is a lot easier. You blow it. The Lord said in Psalm 110, sit at my right hand and I'll make your enemies a footstool. Ask the Lord's forgiveness, have some to cover with your blood, and then sit down next to Jesus amen. and let him take care of it. Yes, amen. I guarantee you that's a whole lot better. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> Say amen. Amen. Good. Yes. Good preaching, Rich. Good preaching. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> amen. Whoa. Amen. What time is it? I don't know. Ten till. Yeah. You're good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm having fun. Are you guys having fun? Yeah. Take all the time you need. We don't do schedules. Here. Nope. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, some may, but no, no. Yeah. Well, right. Something happened when I put my Bible in my head there. <laughs> It started feeling a little bit intoxicated. Uh-huh. <laughs> Amen. Does that ever happen to anybody in here? Yeah. There's a funny thing. There's a reason why the Bible, you know, the Holy Spirit's called wine, new wine, because there's something to that. <laughs> because ah, uh, it just feels really good. Wow. Because the Bible says, "Don't be drunk with wine." That's stupid. That's my translation. But be drunk with the Holy Spirit. Yes. Amen. Yeah. yeah. Woo. <laughs> Merry Christmas, everybody. <laughs> oh, Jesus. 
And I get to warn you, sometimes I start laughing when I feel really good. Wow. I think it was James Gall messed me up. (laughs) (laughs) But you don't have to understand everything. You can just shrink it in. Sometimes our brain does get in the way of things. And uh, so we just need to just soak it in. You know, the Holy Spirit is like that. To be like a child is a good thing. You soak in. Uh, Shane and I, where did he go? To the bathroom. Oh, sorry, Shane. I embarrassed you. But Shane and I, Shane and I were uh, up at Cornell University uh, last spring, and we got to minister to the students there. And, And so, you know, these are smart people. These are Ivy League students. But at one point, the Holy Spirit just came and I said, forget your brains for a minute. Just let the Holy Spirit. And some people were healed and, wow. and encouraged. So that was really fun. And that was at a university meeting, so that was pretty cool. Wow. I felt like I could get away with it because my brother's on staff of <laughs> university. So. Okay, so number three. We're going to try to get into three here. Chapter three. And this is going to be called, Have a Third Great Awakening. <laughs> so, because I believe that's what we're in right now, yes. a third great awakening. Amen. James Gall, who I highly <clears throat> respect, he was at my church in Maine five years ago, and he said the third great awakening has begun. And I believed it, and I'm walking in it, because you know one of the greatest dangers of a move of God is to say it's going to be tomorrow. Yes. God has already begun to light fires yes. of Amen. awakening in our nation. Yeah. And we need to just thank God for the small beginnings yes. and to value them because he is moving. There are, I'm working with kids at all eight Ivy League schools right now. Most of them are from China or from Korea, but these, these guys are on fire for God. There's 300 spirit-filled scientists and political science Asians that are lighting up campuses. It's happening, for real. Another sign of awakening is the fact that we're having ministry schools explode. Because in every awakening, you have to empower lay people to get on fire and start to take the Holy Spirit other places. That's what Wesley. That was why John Wesley was so successful. He trained over a thousand lay people to be filled with the Spirit and then to preach the gospel. Mm-hmm. And they didn't have to go to Oxford and become real educated before they did that. That's right. Amen. I won't get going on that. <laughs> Amen. But, so, just a quick historical background. First Great Awakening happened in the East Coast here from 1720 to 1750, 1760. Started in New Jersey, spread to Connecticut. Um, we're actually doing a little tour this spring with the school of some of the awakening spots in New Jersey. So that's going to be fun, Pennsylvania. It's going to be really fun. I'm going to dress up like a, like George Whitfield and preach under a tree <laughs> in Basking Ridge, New Jersey. That's going to be fun. <laughs> I'm going to be interested to see what happens here. But one of the most exciting places for the first great awakening was the streets of Philadelphia. Uh, George Whitfield preached over 25,000 people on the streets of Philadelphia, and it touched the entire city. Uh, Benjamin Franklin was so fascinated, first of all, with how his voice could carry to 25,000 people. So Benjamin Franklin, being a scientist, 
he was like, he went to all the corners and he was like measuring the decibels and all this stuff. He was just fascinated. How can this happen? Mm. And Benjamin Franklin, who was a playboy and carouser in France and all this stuff, guess what? He started publishing George Whitfield's revival stuff. He actually bought a building for Whitfield, <laughs> which is now at UPenn. Okay? And he's not even a believer, but he's getting like caught up in this whole thing. But as an old man, he finds Jesus. Amen. And God uses him in this amazing way. To me, the most amazing thing of all was the Continental Congress writing the Constitution. The 13 colonies are all arguing about what's supposed to happen. Finally, Benjamin Franklin, of all people, gets up and says, I perceive we're in trouble. But I believe... As the scriptures say, unless the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. I charge from this morning on that we begin these deliberations in prayer. And I believe God will give us favor. Amen. It was wow. his prophetic declaration that changed wow. everything. Whoa. And that was from the Great Awakening. That was effects yeah. from that. Whoa. The second Great Awakening it was 1800-1830, and here in Delaware, something very important happened. It's called the Cradle of Methodism, because Methodists gathered here in gatherings of 10 to 15,000 and had Holy Ghost meetings. The shouting Methodists were so strong that three miles away they could hear the shouts of the Methodists here in wow. Delaware. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Let's think about that for a minute. Mm. Can it happen again? Well, I think something bigger is, is going to happen Amen. than yes. that. Yes. Wow. <laughs> well, and of course, being Methodist, I get excited about this stuff. I always wondered why the flame on the Methodist church. There's this cross and there's a flame. I, I asked my pastor one time, what's a flame for? I don't know. It's our symbol. <laughs> ah, let me just propose to you that's the Holy Spirit that's the fire Amen. of God ah, Jesus yes. so I believe this third great awakening is going to be the biggest thing this world has ever seen yes. and yes there will be persecution yes there will be dark stuff happening in our nation but the fire, when it's darker, that's when the fire gets brighter. Yes. That's when stuff becomes very real. Yeah. And it's going, to be the, it's going to be the adventure of our lifetime. Yes. Some of you want to sign up for an adventure, like yes. to change America, like to be a part of the greatest spiritual move the world's ever seen. Yes. I believe that's the cusp of where we are. Yes. Great awakenings take 30 to 40 years. That's why... We're only five years into this thing, and we don't see a lot happening. But there's going to be some suddenlies. Like, there's going to be some ignition points. And we're going to say, But oh, today be one of them, Lord. That we're going to say, how did this happen? What, what happened? But God was working behind the scenes in all of our hearts, doing incredible things, so that our, our hunger, our, our wood gets so dry that when the fire comes, it just... It's the gasoline. It's the fire that's in our hearts that ignites. We have an ignition 
the two of us. There's something that we're going to unite with each other. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We don't know what it all means yet, but. I do. Well, this third great awakening has to do with heaven invading earth. Well, that's a great book if you want to get that. I gave it to all my leaderships by Bill Johnson. And that's basically what our school is, is about. We want to be heaven invading earth. Amen. Okay? Let's read that scripture in Colossians 3. This is kind of where we're, we're at here. Colossians 3. Oh, I always loved these four verses, but I didn't really know what they meant. Because they sound so cool. <laughs> Since you've been raised to a new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits on the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you have died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, he is coming. Amen. Christ is coming back. You will share in all of his glory. I better not stop there too long. Because we're married to him. Wives get in on what the husband has. Amen. That's the way it is. Because it's a co-co thing. It's co-crucified, co-buried, and what? Co-resurrected. Co-risen. So... You know, I, I used to read this verse, and I said, well, obviously, I should become a Mennonite, because, or Amish, because we should set our sights on the things of heaven and forget about this earth. You know what I mean? Like material things, earthly things. And during the 80s, I tried that. I really did. I didn't go to movies. Uh, I missed the 80s. I didn't know Star Wars. I didn't see Star Wars. We couldn't go see Star Wars, because we couldn't believe in movies. And... Uh, we miss Michael Jackson. I the first the first time I saw a Thriller was at his funeral on TV. But I said, "Wow, that is amazing! Whatever that is, the moonwalk." So, like anything during the eighties, you tell me that happened in the world. I don't know about it because I was on a holy club thing. So, but you know, I'm changing my views. You know where what this relates to? Verse five. So put to death, or a better translation, consider yourself dead to the earthly things lurking within you. Wow. So reckon yourself dead to the things of the earth in you. What are they? Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. There it is. Worshipping the things of this world. That's the context. That's what it means. We shouldn't worship the things of this world. John said, don't love the world because that which is in the world is the lust of the eyes, the lust of flesh, and the pride of life. That's the context. That doesn't mean that we're not of the world. Jesus said, you're going to be in the world, but not of the world. So in other words... He said, you are the light of the world. Don't put it under a, you know, your bed or whatever. Put it on a lampstand so all may see. 
Jesus was saying, you need to let your light shine in the world. You need to be involved with the things of the world so people can see them. So, here's the deal. We need to invade earth <laughs> with heavens. Yes. Not fall in love with the things of this world, but to invade this world. Have, have you guys talked at all about the seven mountains? No. No. It would take me a while to unpackage that, but just to say this, that this whole idea that Christians should not be involved with politics or government or media or business or any of this stuff is not scriptural. That's right. Okay? It's not scriptural. We're supposed to be the light of the world wherever God has called us to be. Yes. Right? Yes. Amen. And so that's what we're training people in our school to do, to get heaven inside of them and to take it out. Wherever they go. Change the culture. Affect the culture. Yes. Um, my whole paradigm on this was, when I read that book, Heaven Invades Earth, uh, my idea of the kingdom of God, I don't know about you guys, but my idea of the kingdom of God was the thousand year reign with Christ. After Christ comes back, we're going to rule and reign with Christ, and that's the kingdom. That was my understanding. But guess, I dare you to read the book of Matthew with a different perspective. Read it for point-blank value as to how Jesus talks about it. His first sermon, repent. Change your thinking. Because the kingdom of God is here. Yeah. 2,000 years ago, he says the kingdom of God is here. Why was it here? Because he brought it with him. Yeah. Jesus brought the kingdom with him. And then in the next chapter, chapter 4, he demonstrates what the kingdom is. It says he went into Galilee... He healed the sick, he raised the dead, he cleansed the lepers. He demonstrated yeah. what heaven looks like. Yes. Wow. That's changed my whole world. Wow. Yesterday, we took heaven into Allison Hill in Harrisburg, didn't we? <laughs> Eighty of us, with heaven inside of us, walked the slums. And we handed out cookies, and we sang Christmas carols, and we just invaded people's homes with heaven in the ghetto. This is where the murders happened, okay? We stopped at one place, and everything shot out, like, amazing. And the very next door, this lady comes out, and she's crying, because God is touching her heart. Wow. And we have prayer for her, and heaven invaded you know, her home. You know, this is what it's about. Yeah. This is the gospel. Yes. Wow. Heaven invading our culture. Yeah. It's an amazing, amazing thing. And like this third awakening is going to empower every one of you to do this stuff, to do the works of Jesus. You know, and that's what's happened before is sometimes we always feel like it has to be a special, a special called person to do stuff. And it's changing. That's what our ministry school is about. Now we got we got 70 students at our, our school in Harrisburg from all kinds of different backgrounds. And guess what? They're learning to heal the sick. They're learning to prophesy. They're learning to do the works of Jesus. Yes. And that's a radical thing. That is what is going to change our culture. Yes. Enough people with lights burning brightly. Wow. That can do that. 
It says in Ephesians 4 that God raises up apostles and prophets and teachers and evangelists and pastors. Why? So that they can do all the stuff? No, it says so they can equip the body of Christ. They can cultivate their gifts to come out of them. So that we all, in unity and love, become like Jesus. The body of Christ raising up. That's a radical thought. But that's what's supposed to happen. Is I just want to take a little tester here. Is this is this okay? Am I like? Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I know you do because he's teaching it. I know it. <laughs> so I'm going to try to land land this plane, but I haven't seen the runway yet. I'm still kind of you know <laughs> GPS. We're looking for the lights, so we'll bring it in when the lights come in. <laughs> Uh, let me just tell you a little bit about Delaware. Uh, and sometimes when people come from outside, they might just say something that might be different. Because how many of you know we get so familiar with our backgrounds mm-hmm. that sometimes we don't see some things in front of us? So it's the first fruit state. And something has to open here to open Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And I believe it may have already happened or started, but hasn't been completed, that's for sure. Uh, whoa, and Philadelphia is the keystone for our nation. Mm-hmm. That's how big this is. Uh, Billy Graham had a thing called America for Jesus, September 2012. And did you all hear about that one? Yeah. Um, yeah, there was thousands of people there, and they gathered on the mall, but a lot of people came to Philadelphia and they said, why are we here? Why aren't we in D.C.? Because D.C. is the keystone for our nation. Well, no. <laughs> Philadelphia is the keystone of our nation. That's where it was born, and that's where it has to turn. And so, and the thing is, Delaware is directly connected to Philadelphia. As a, as a matter of fact, even though it was founded by the Dutch and then the Swedes... When William Penn came in 1682, he realized that he had New Jersey on one side, he had uh, Delaware on the other side, Maryland, and he was landlocked. And so the king gave him Delaware. This was Pennsylvania. William Penn was given Delaware, and so he had this whole land. So, so duh, Pennsylvania and Delaware are linked together yeah. in history and in covenant. So we, are, we have to work together. On to, to see this gate open. Yeah. Wow. So, uh, just to tell you a little bit about that, in 2003, a guy named Chuck Pearson, Dutch Sheets, came to Delaware. They, they said, this is a first fruit state. And so, if the first lump is holy, the whole thing will be holy. So there was something about Delaware that there was going to be a holiness in this state that was going to spread like a leaven to the other wow. states. Wow. And they called Route 1 the Highway of Holiness. Wow. You can read about that in Isaiah 35. And it's, it's like the Highway of Holiness that God is... And so they actually did worship the entire Route 1 at that time. Isn't that pretty cool? Because Delaware is such a small state... You can like cover the whole state fairly easily, and they had worship. They had worship gatherings in every town, uh, every major town in Delaware at that time. 
Did you all, how many of you knew that? So this is cool, right? I'm bringing yeah. something that you guys yeah. didn't know. Yeah. Woo. Okay. Um, <laughs> Chuck Pierce said, let's do a three-day player, uh, prayer blitz. And that's what they did. They did worship through the whole state. And then in Dover, the capital, they had a thousand people gathered from all kinds of different churches at that time. And uh, there was really a breakthrough. You know, that happened. How much has been followed up on, I don't know, you know, from that. But I think you guys are going to be part of this yeah. follow-up and making this reality. Yeah. You guys are part of that. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, so Lord, we just declare that right yes. now. Well, for this fellowship, God, they are small, but they are powerful. And God, this is an apostolic center. And Lord, as, it, as this vision grows and increases, not only are they connected to Ghana and to Nigeria and Mexico, but Father, you're going to help them connect to other places in the state of, Pen of, of Pen yeah, Pennsylvania. That was a Holy Ghost yes. slip. Yes. Pennsylvania and Delaware, where... Uh, they're going to connect with leaders, apostolic leaders, to push this gate open, yes. and even for our nation to have a turning point, Father, in 2016. We just believe yes. you for that. We thank you for it. Can we give him yes. uh, just a hand clap of praise for that? Thank you, Lord. Feels good in here. Okay, I'm going to wrap this up. Wow. So to summarize, to summarize, uh, have an encounter with Jesus. Yes. I believe you've all had that. Okay. We've known him, but you can never know him fully. Yeah. He's God. Yeah. You know, he's a lamb. He's a lamb of God that was slain, but he is a lion. And he's not a tame lion. Amen. It's like C.S. Lewis, Narnia Tales. He's good, <laughs> but he's not tame. So the more that we get to know him, we kind of connect with that line of Judah yeah. that can change cities, yes. that can change everything. And he wants to use us to change cities. <laughs> wow. And, uh, and then, of course, to have a second reformation where we understand who we are, that Christ lives in us. We're no longer sinners, we're saints. And that our focus now is not about trying to deal with sin in our lives, but our focus is about kingdom assignments. What is our assignment? See, as long as we're totally wrapped up in struggling with sin and who we are, then we're never going to get the stuff done for the kingdom that we need to. Because yeah. Romans 8, 8 once, there is therefore no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. Yeah. Is that true or is that not true? Amen. And the reason why... He said that is because we have been co-crucified, co-buried, co-risen. And that's who we are now. We belong to him. And we're kingdom people. We're sons and daughters of the Most High God. Yes. That's who we are. Amen. Do we believe that? Wow. And there is a... We were talking about this before. You know, this next year, 2016, is the turning point for our nation. I believe that with all my yeah. heart. But guess what? It's not all about who becomes president. Right. It's all about what the church becomes. <coughs> yes. What does the church become yes. this year? <laughs> yes. 
What the world needs now is love, sweet love. That's the only thing. There's just too little love. Well, you know, that's the key yeah. for our nation, yes. is the love of God. Yes. I had a weird uh, <coughs> word coming into Atlantic City this year. The Lord said, I'm going to give the church the Trump card. Well, obviously, you would think that meant Donald Trump, but it doesn't. He said the Trump card, it may be, we don't know, but the Trump card is the ace of hearts. That is going to be the trump card this year. What that means is, the love of God in the church is going to trump anything that the devil tries to do. Amen. Amen? Yes, amen. That's from the Lord. So, it's not totally dependent on our president. It's dependent on a grassroots reformation and awakening in the church. Yeah. Us loving people, all kinds of people, everybody with the love of Christ. I personally believe there's going to be such a huge revival amongst Muslim people that's going to shape the world. And that's part of what this whole thing is about. If he can get Christians to hate Muslims, then we're going to abort that that revival Mm -hmm. that's happening right now. There are literally thousands of Muslims getting saved in Iraq and Egypt and these places. Jesus himself is appearing in dreams and encounters. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Amen. He's yes. bypassing the whole religious thing and going right in and appearing to these yes. people. Yes. Just like Paul the Apostle. Yes. Well, Paul was a bad dude. He was a, <laughs> Paul was a terrorist, man. And God just got a hold of him. And then he started terrorizing the kingdom of darkness. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. Whoa. So, just like George Washington said, our Constitution, he said, wouldn't work without a moral character people. A piece of paper will not fix the problem. It has to be the hearts. Yes. Hearts of Americans yeah. being changed by Jesus. Yes. That is our that's where freedom comes from. Because Jesus said, you know, whom the sun sets free is free indeed. I tried to find freedom through Woodstock, you know. But I found out I got more bondage. But when Jesus came in, he set me free. Amen. Really free. Free every day. Oh my goodness. And it just keeps getting better and better and better. I'm going to just share a song to end with and then we'll just see what the Holy Spirit wants to do. And, uh, well, Shane has this for me. Of course, Shane plays guitar. Could you get that piece of paper for me? He plays guitar too, but he has this amazing hip-hop thing that he does. And let me just say that Shane has an amazing, uh, he sees a lot of people healed when he prays for them. And he has words of knowledge about people. And, of course, Erin, like I say, she's got a lot in her deck. She's got, she's got a loaded gun, you know. And so have her pray for you, you know, today. But um, <clears throat> what was I saying, Shane? Okay?